uh, chapter 14, Jesus walks on the water. Matthew 14, 22 to 36. And remember, we're living by faith. Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus said to them, Take courage, it's I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came towards Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country, and people brought all who were ill to him, and begged him to let those who were ill just to touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. May God bless his word to us this morning. Thanks very much, Jeff. Good morning, everybody. Last um, Sunday evening, 22,000 people went to a concert in Las Vegas, and the 40 minutes after the, the start of the concert, 58 people were dead and nearly 500 were injured. How many of those concertgoers expected that a crazy gunman would unleash such terror that evening? The world in which we live is unpredictable, it's unsafe, and it causes us to worry. Traumatic events can happen at any time, but it's often more just normal life that causes us to be anxious. For some people here, it will be their health. Your body's not working as it should be, and you fear the worst. You may fear old age and uh, your body no longer being able to do all the things it uh, once did. For some, it, it may be their children, whatever age they may be, if they're still at school, worries about their, their education. If they've left home, worries about their life choices, and not least their relationship with God. Maybe you're worried about your finances. You know, will, you, will your pension be enough? Maybe you're worried about all the things that are breaking down in the home and uh, the cost of fixing them. Maybe you're worried about your job. We know it doesn't make sense to worry. And as Jesus said, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? But because we, we don't know what the future holds... 
we're all prone to worry. So how do we deal with that, that anxiety? Well, in many ways, there are, are three sort of options. You know, we, we continue to live in a permanent state of anxiety, um, which affects our health and our relationships. And none of us wants to be in that situation. We try and control our life to avoid anything bad happening. And it's wise to do that to a, to a certain degree. You, when you get in a car, you put your seatbelt on. When you go out of the house, you lock the door. When you're getting to a certain age, you might have a flu jab. But of course, we cannot anticipate everything happening. We cannot stop bad things happening. And so the third option is the only one that really is going to help, that we carry on being wise, that we trust that God will provide for our needs, that he will give us the strength to cope with whatever comes our way. In short, we can live lives of faith. Most of us here um, will have faith. But how do we live out that faith in everyday life? There'll be some Christians who we, we look at and we think, wow, if only I had their faith. You know, it's amazing what they've gone through. And yet they don't moan, they don't, they don't grumble, they are at peace, they have a, a joy in the Lord. But we're starting, as uh, Wells has said, a new series on living by faith, in which we'll be looking at these chapters from, from Matthew's Gospel. But let's start by defining what faith is. And the best place to go is uh, Hebrews 11, which Jeff read out earlier. Faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. And then Hebrews goes on to give a whole load of examples of of, uh, people of great faith from the history of of the Bible. But the thing is, it's not just about these great people. Faith is not about us. Faith is ultimately about God. The confidence, the assurance of faith is not in ourselves. It's in him. It's about trusting that God will give us what we need when we need it. So let's go to this, this first passage in, in Matthew 14. And what we'll see in these passages over the coming weeks uh, is how different people respond to Jesus in different situations. And often faith comes the hard way, as we're going to look at this morning. And I have that passage open just to look at the context of what's going on here. Uh, Jesus has been preaching. He's been healing. Uh, one of his key sermons in the Gospel of Matthew is chapter 13. The parable of the sower, which describes how uh, the seed, the gospel message, falls on different soils. And in many cases, it's snatched away, it's choked, it doesn't take root. But in some cases, it falls on good soil, it becomes fruitful. And that's where the person hears the word and he understands. Where the person comes to faith and he grows in his faith. At the end of chapter 13, we're told that Jesus didn't actually do any miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. And then we're into chapter 14, and it starts with some bad news. John the Baptist, the prophet who came before Jesus, who pointed to Jesus, is killed by King Herod. And his death points the way to where Jesus is heading. Well, when Jesus hears the news, he retires to a solitary place, but though the crowds follow him, and when he sees them, we're told he has compassion on them, and he heals them. 
He demonstrates his power in the feeding of the 5,000. And after that, we're told in John's Gospel, the people want to make him king. And this is where we pick up the story in verse 22. Because for, for this reason, we're told immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. Jesus doesn't want the 12 apostles to get mixed up in making him king. So he, he squashes that. And it says, after he dismissed the crowd, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Prayer is an essential part of Jesus' life. Even though Jesus has taken on human form, he's come to earth, he's physically separate from his father, he's in close communion and fellowship with him throughout. But meanwhile, what is going on with the disciples? Well, we're told uh, the boat uh, was, um, in verse 24, a considerable distance from the land. is buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. They are in a storm. They've been in a storm before. In one storm, they had Jesus with them. But this time, they're on their own until Jesus appears. And in verse 25, it says, Shortly before dawn... Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now remember, it's still dark. It's stormy. The boat's being tossed up and down by the waves. The disciples have been battling against the storm all night. They're probably pretty exhausted. And then this figure appears. They're probably saying, did you see that? Am I imagining things? And the response was uh, a quite a typical human response. It says, when the disciples, um, verse 26, saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said. And they cried out in fear. No one can walk on water. Well, how does Jesus reassure them? He says, take courage, don't be afraid. But so much there between these commands is the reason why they don't need to be afraid. Those three words, it is I. You're not on your own. I am here with you. I'm not a ghost. It's actually me here. This is Jesus. Before, when I was with you in the boat, I calmed the storm for you. I may have gone away to pray with my father, which was really important, but that didn't mean I lost sight of your need. I'm here with you. When we have a a problem and there's no one there to help us or to talk to about it, it's hard, isn't it? For those who've lost a a husband or or a wife, having experienced the comfort of their presence for, for many years, it's hard. For those who live on their own and don't have friends they can call on for help, it's, it's hard. But whatever our situation, if we call out to God, He will hear us, He will Help us. Jesus came to earth as Emmanuel, which means God with us. When he ascended to heaven, he sent his spirit to be with us. Some of you may know over the summer, uh, Liz broke her ankle on the mountain. And we were on a part of the mountain uh, where not many people came. I won't explain why that was. Um, so we were quite pleased to see um, a couple of young Jewish 
people walking past and they were having trouble um, trying to make a phone connection, getting a signal. So we asked them uh, for some help. Unfortunately, they had a first aid kit and a bandage. Um, we obviously didn't. Um, and we asked them, when you get down to the bottom, can you tell people where we are? And um, later on, whilst Liz was having a nice helicopter flight along the Welsh coast, and the rest of us were walking down the, the mountain down to the bottom, um, we got to the bottom. We gave our details to the mountain rescue person. And um, she said, here's the name and the number of the guy who, who let us know about you. He was quite keen that you... You were okay. I looked at the, the scrap of paper, and uh, do you know what his name was? It was Emmanuel. Now, uh, make of that what you want. Um, but God was with us on the mountain. God is always with us. So going back to the passage, how does Peter respond when Jesus says, it is I? Well, Peter says here, says, Lord, if it is you, then tell me to come to you on the water. He's not sure that it's Jesus. He says, if it really is you, then I'll follow your command. Just tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus says just that. He says, come. Come. And we're told Peter got down out of the boat. He, he walked on the water and came towards Jesus. Now we know that human beings cannot walk on water. The laws of physics. Um, if you're a physicist, I'm sure you'll tell us that human beings have a higher density than water, and so they will sink. And so the phrase walking on water is used to describe impossible situations. But of course, the laws of physics explain the way in which the world works, the world that God created. And if God wants to change that, you know, he can. So miraculously, Peter walked on the water which required a lot of faith in Jesus. He came towards Jesus, but then but then what happens? It says in verse 30, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. Peter was, was walking towards Jesus. He probably got pretty close. Everything's going well. And then he suddenly becomes aware of his surroundings. He saw the size of the waves, he, he felt the strength of the wind against his face, and he realized that they were, they were miles from shore, he was probably quite away from the boat by now. Maybe he couldn't swim, we don't know. But he probably thought, this is not possible, I cannot be walking on water. And as he starts to worry, he begins to sink. I wonder if we've been there before. Maybe we're, we're standing up the front in front of a load of people, Maybe we're sharing our testimony. Uh, and suddenly we think, hang on, I'm not a public speaker. What am I doing here? And we panic. Maybe we're praying out loud in a small prayer group. And we think, hang on, I, I, I don't do this. I've never done it before. What are people going to think of me? Maybe we've got lots of pressures in the workplace or in our, in our home lives. And somehow we're, we're staying afloat. Uh, and suddenly we realize just how many things we have got to do. And we cannot possibly do them all when we, when we start to sink. Maybe we're unwell. And there's no way we should be able to cope. Um, but the Lord is keeping us going. And then we start to think about the seriousness of our situation. And we begin to sink. Doubt comes when we lose our trust in God's power or in his love. 
And that is what Satan's constantly trying to do, isn't he? As we heard in the home groups um, last week when we were considering the fall. One of Satan's tactics with Adam and Eve was to make them question God's goodness. Was he really concerned for their well-being? Instead of focusing all the generosity of God, all the things they could enjoy that he'd given them, he picked on the one prohibition, which was for their benefit anyway, and he turned it and made it appear like God was holding out on them. And we worry. It's usually because we're afraid of losing something. And that something has somehow become more important than, than Jesus. In the case of standing up in front of people or doing something where other people are around, maybe it's our reputation. Maybe we're afraid of what people will think of us if we make a mess of it. Some people will have taken great delight in Theresa May's misfortune this week. But anyone who does any sort of public speaking would have felt a measure of sympathy. After all, it could happen to anybody at any time. The thing is, if we are so desperate to perform well so that people think well of us... As Christians, we've lost sight of the fact that it's God's glory that we're seeking first and foremost. It's nothing to do with us. Paul understood this when he wrote to the Corinthians. He said this about the apostles in 1 Corinthians 4. He said, we have been made a spectacle to the whole universe, to angels as well as to human beings. We are fools for Christ. But you are so wise in Christ. We are weak but you are strong. You are honoured, we are dishonoured. To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, we are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless, we work hard with our own hands, when we are cursed, we bless. When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. He was happy to be a fool for Christ, to be scum of the earth, as long as Christ was glorified. A case of worry in the workplace. Again, it may be that we want to perform well. We're worried about uh, what others think of us. Maybe we're worried about losing our job and our income. And again, that is really important. In the case of health, none of us wants to be seriously ill. None of us wants to to die before we are ready. None of us wants others who are close to us to die. But at the same time, we're not meant to be attached to this world or hang on to it. We are passing through, we're told, in the Bible. If we're a Christian, death doesn't separate us from the love of God. It brings us closer to him. If we're worried about losing things that are important to us, more important than Jesus, then what do we do about that? Well, the first thing is to use our worry positively. If you begin to worry about something, ask yourself, why is that thing so important to me? And then focus on God's promises to us. The Bible is full of God's great and wonderful promises. Have a look back at verse 30. Beginning to sink, Peter cried out, Lord, save me. Peter didn't wait until he had sunk. He saw that he was beginning to sink. 
He was losing his faith. And he cried out to Jesus for help. And when you cry out to Jesus for help, he is right there with you. It says here, immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. There's that word again, immediately. When they were afraid, immediately, Jesus said, do not be afraid. When Peter cried out, immediately, Jesus reached out and caught him. When we were stuck on the mountain, the, the rescue guy on the phone said, put on any extra clothing you've got, hunker down, um, we'll get there to you when we can. There's no guarantee the helicopter will be able to get there. There's no guarantee there wasn't a more urgent emergency they had to go to. But Jesus is there immediately. Our need is never unimportant to him. As Jesus saves Peter... He says to him, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? You were walking on the water towards me. You were doing something you could only do through my power. Why did you take your eyes off me? Now, we can't be too hard on Peter. At least he had the courage to get out of the boat in the first place and and walk on the water towards Jesus. But Jesus is saying you don't need to sink You just needed to trust and keep on trusting. And the same goes for us, doesn't it? You know, there are times when we're we're struggling and we call out to Jesus and we experience amazing strength to help us carry on through. We, We experience a release of our worries. But then sometimes we forget that that strength comes from Jesus. And and we begin to think, well, maybe I'm, I'm able to cope with this. Maybe I'm doing it in my own strength. And so we stop praying. And things start to to go wrong again. But the good news is that when our faith does start to fail and when we call out to Jesus, he is there for us. And he restores our faith. He doesn't say, look, try harder, sort out your faith, and then I'll help you. The action of saying, Lord, help me, is an act of faith. It's saying, I'm in trouble, I can't help myself, but you can. Come and help me. And Jesus did just that. Jesus pulls Peter up. They they both walk across the water, back to the boat, and they get in. And the wind dies down. And the others who've been watching all this cannot help but say, as it says here, truly you are the Son of God. There's no doubt about that after seeing what they have have seen. And that acknowledgement of who Jesus is, is an act of worship. They worshipped him, it says here. They gave him the honour that was due to his name. How do we want the Lord to help us? It may be, Lord, save me from this worry. How does the Lord do that? Well, by reminding us of his promises in his word. On the Friday lunchtime prayer meeting the other week, we looked at, um, at the devotion that day from the Solid Joys um, website, which was all about anxiety. And uh, John Piper took some different promises that God offers in his word. I'm just going to look at a few of those now as we finish before we come to the Lord's table. When I'm anxious about being too weak to do my work, I battle unbelief with this promise. My grace 
is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. When I'm anxious about decisions I have to make about the future, I battle unbelief with the promise that God says, I will instruct you, I will teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. When I'm anxious about facing opponents, I battle unbelief with the promise, if God is for us, who can be against us? When I'm anxious about the welfare of those I love, I battle unbelief with the promise, if I, being evil, know how to give good gifts to my children, then how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? When I'm anxious about what will happen to me when I die. I battle unbelief with a promise for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's what we're going to celebrate now as we take the Lord's Supper together. But before we do so, why don't you just take a moment of quiet and bring your worries, your anxieties, your fears to the Lord and focus on those promises. Maybe one of those promises is is the right one for you right now and ask him to help you to live by faith and not by sight. Let's have some quiet and then we'll come to the Lord's Supper.